listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. We are going to pick up in verse 14. We're going to close out the first half of this book today. As you're doing that, think about this. When, when you think about and you hear the idea of spiritual growth or spiritual help, I wonder what comes to our minds when we think about those things. Because for me, spiritual growth or spiritual health is this really interesting thing. Because for one, I want to go, how do you measure that? How do we go about measuring spiritual health? And we want to be able to do that, but it's hard. In fact, sometimes it's even hard, I think, to define. One thing I believe we can't do is compare ourselves to others when it comes to spiritual growth and spiritual health. And you've probably, if you've been a believer for a while, you've had seasons where you felt like you were growing spiritually and you were in a good place according to spiritual health. And then you've probably experienced seasons where things just felt very stagnant. But for me, here's the biggest question is, I've wondered how many of us are settling for something far less than what God wants and desires for us when it comes to the idea of spiritual health and spiritual growth. Are we settling for less of what it actually could be? I mean, I think about people like Paul that we've been studying and and John and Mary Magdalene. I think, man, there's no way I could had the spiritual health of those people. But then I think we do this with a lot of areas of our lives that we can settle, like in marriage. Now, I'm not saying you settle for the person, but I'm just saying that we get to a place and we just kind of say, okay, is this all the best this this is ever going to be? Or with parenting or our careers, that we just find a place and we just settle. I think we do it for several reasons. I think one reason we would do this is Self-esteem is a big issue where we don't feel good enough, important enough, or valuable, so we settle. Or probably the biggest one maybe is comfort. We just all get very comfortable. Or maybe the biggest one is the idea of fear. We're just afraid of taking this step, of doing this thing, of losing maybe what we have, of taking a chance. But I think all of those even apply to where we are spiritually. So if you're someone this morning and you're sitting there thinking, man, I really do. I want to experience something greater in my my spiritual health or my spiritual growth. And I encourage you to, to engage with this passage this morning. So let's read it and then we will walk through it together. We're going to pick up chapter 3 of Ephesians beginning in verse 14. It says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him 
who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Let his people hear. So this morning, you're going to see Paul in a prayer. It actually began in verse 1, and then he, he goes on this thing. He wants to make sure they understand. We saw last week of this mystery of the church, of how in the world are these two different groups of people ever going to come together to create a new humanity in the church. Well, then in chapter 3, verse 14, he picks back up with this prayer. And you're going to see Paul pray about five things. He's going to pray for strength. He will pray for depth. He will pray for love. He'll pray for apprehension. He'll pray for fullness. And then the famous doxology that ends this theological section of Ephesians. So let's look at back at verse 14 and walk through these seven verses here. Notice how he begins. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. But remember, here is Paul. Picture this. Paul is in a Roman prison, in, in usually a house, where he is chained to a guard. So he begins moving that chain around, and he gets up, and he gets on his knees to pray. That guard probably thought, oh, no, here we go again. I wonder how long Paul's going to stay at this. But here's an interesting thing to know. All week I've been thinking about what this must have been like for those elders as they read this letter from Paul. Because this would have been one of the last images they had of him. In Acts chapter 20 verse 36, the last moments that he is with these elders in Ephesus, the apostle Paul drops to his knees, it says, and he prayed for them. Knowing that this will be the last time they ever see him in person on, in this life, they wept loudly, Acts says, and they hugged and they kissed Paul. And then they escorted, they walked with him down to Miletus where there was a ship waiting for him. The leaders of this church, this, they would always have had this image of Paul kneeling with them and praying. And here he is again on his knees praying for them. He is about to pray for five things, all about their spiritual growth, their spiritual health, but we need to understand these are things that are going to build on each other, kind of like steps on a ladder. Because look at verse 16. He's going to pray all of this according to the riches of his glory. What we have to remember is that these are Christians, believers in Ephesus, and they are suffering. They are under great persecution from Rome and even zealot Jews. But they even have problems inside the church of these two different groups trying to figure out how they do life as one. And so what does Paul do? He calls upon the greatest power of help. He says, according to the riches of God's glory. And that is significant. Because Paul, he is calling upon, he, he's trusting in the riches according to the riches of his glory. Because notice, Paul doesn't say giving out of his riches. Because if he did, it would be this depletion. That it would be just a portion of what God had and it would be limited. 
But he says, according to meaning, this is based upon all of his riches and power, and it is unlimited. He's calling upon God's treasure trove of riches that God would supply something. And the first thing he prays for is this. He prays for strength, because look at the end of that verse. According to the riches of your glory that you may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner beings. And so Paul prays for strength through the power of the spirit in their inner being. But stop and think about what most of our prayers tend to be about. We will pray a lot of times for provision. As we did this morning, we pray for financial needs. We pray for healing, that God would grant that. We pray for suffering, that that it would be eliminated in all kinds of ways. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for those, but most of those are physical needs. But notice, Paul does not pray that their suffering would stop. He doesn't pray that the persecution would be alleviated. He doesn't pray for any financial needs. He prays for them to be strengthened, and you see it in their inner being. So what is that? What is Paul talking about when he's praying for strength in their inner being? That This is the spiritual part of us where God dwells and he works. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul told us this, this inner man... This inner man begins as a lost sinner and is dead. But then through faith in Christ, this inner man, Paul told us, is made alive. That this outer man is decaying, is perishing, but the inner man will live forever. And so Paul here, he's not praying for any kind of outer man protection. But he prays that their inner man would be strengthened. He's praying for their spiritual life. And that has been so convicting for me this week. In fact, uh, I try to pray for people often. In fact, this week I had somebody uh, call me and say, hey, would you pray about this? And, And I did. But oftentimes when I'm praying, when I think about what it is, I'm typically praying just for the physical aspects of things. But how often do we stop and pray for their spiritual health. I think oftentimes our prayers tend to focus on the physical and material needs and oftentimes not that deeper inner needs of a person's heart. So he prays for strength of this inner person. So then I began thinking that, man, we get opportunities to pray for marriages and we should. We, we should pray for that. But why do we not take it a step further and pray for their spiritual healing that is needed or financial needs? Why do we not take it a step further and pray for the spiritual health to be strengthened through this or for parenting? Hey, everybody's had their kids at home this week. Hey, great news, they go back to school this week and then you get them home next week. But praying for parental guidance, that their spiritual growth in and through their children, that God would use our children to continue to sanctify us. So he prays for strength. But then in verse 17, he prays for something else. He prays for depth. Look at the beginning of 17. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this word dwell is really interesting. It means this idea of kind of settling down. 
of maybe feeling at home. You invite somebody into your home, you say, hey, well, so glad you're here. And, man, make yourself at home. That's what that word dwell means. Because Christ has already taken up residence in these believers' hearts. But Paul is saying oftentimes he can feel like a stranger. So Paul is praying that they would have this, this deeper experience with Christ. That his desire is that Christ would make his home in their hearts, not just on a surface relationship, but he would feel at home. And so let me show you this in Scripture. Think back all the way back to Genesis 18 and 19. Here's Father Abraham. And in these verses, Abraham is this example of this depth and this, this dwelling that he has of, of God feeling at home. And so God was going to bless Abraham with a son, as we're told. So the Lord came to him. And do you remember this? He came and he visited, and it tells us, he visited him in his tent. And he brought two angels with him. And they went into the tent, and they talked with Abraham. They even ate a meal with him. They felt at home. Because Abraham was a man of faith and obedience. But there was another task. They were to go and investigate this area of Sodom because God was about to come in and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's a man named Lot that lived there. He was a believer like Abraham and he's living in Sodom and God wanted to warn him of this coming judgment. But when you read through those passages, the Lord himself did not go to Sodom. He simply sent the two angels that the Lord didn't feel at home like he did with Abraham as he did with Lot. So Paul prays that these believers, that they would be strengthened in the inner man and that they would have this deep experience with Christ to where he feels at home. But then he has a third prayer. He prays for love. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, and he uses two kind of interesting uh, word pictures here. He uses the word rooted. It's got this agricultural feel to it of, of a plant or a tree having deep established roots. And then he uses grounded. And this is the word like a foundation of a building. So he wants them to have deep and, and, and confident roots in a, a firm foundation in love. But he's not talking about love that we would have for one another. He's talking about the love that Christ has for them. And he wants them to believe and to trust that Christ actually loves them. He, he wants them to be confident in that. But why is that so important? It's because I think it's easy to believe that Christ is for us and that he loves us when things are really going well. Things that are going according to plan and things are working out like we, we want them to. It's easy to kind of feel like, yeah, man, God is for me in this. But it's so much more difficult to believe that Christ loves us when things are not going that way. When everything seems to be going wrong. But I think it is in those moments, in fact, in the hardest moments, in the moments of real pain and real struggle that that confidence is actually built. 
It's through those things that we actually go through. It's the trials, the struggles, the difficult things of this life that, that do affect our outer person that actually test the depth of our belief and confidence in our inner person. So he prays for strength. He prays for depth. He prays for love. And then he prays for apprehension. Now I'm going to read this verse and then I want to tell you why I chose that word apprehension. Because look at verse 18 and 19. That word is not here. He says, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so that word comprehend, it, it, it means to believe or to understand something. Sometimes the difficulty with our English language is looking at it in the Greek and trying to find the best word that conveys that. But this word in the Greek has a little bit deeper meaning. It takes it a little step further. Because when we hear words like believe and understand, you know what we, we do? We're, we're talking about mental assent. We, we take something, we hear something, and I give mental assent that that is true. When that's something that we are doing. But this word here, this comprehend, what it means is to grasp or to take hold of something. It's not just giving mental assent or simply understand something. It's accepting that truth for ourselves. And I think you see this in the example of salvation. That you can believe Jesus Christ was God's son and he came and he died and he rose again and that he's even coming back. And we can give mental assent that that is true. But here's what we need to understand. That is not saving faith. In fact, it's one of the reasons why we're going to have several uh, students and children to be baptized. And we walk through a, an orientation of talking about what the gospel is and what baptism does and isn't because we want to make sure that this isn't just mental ascent because you can believe all the facts and still be lost. But saving faith is taking that mental ascent that yes, that is true, but it is true for me that yes, Jesus Christ came his life, his death, and his resurrection are true, but they are true for me, and I need that. So he wants to make sure they're not just believing facts about something. He wants them to lay hold of it. He wants them to grasp it for themselves. And then notice how he describes that love. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. He wants them to lay hold of that. He wants them to grasp that. I think John Stott describes this well. He says, Christ's love, it's wide enough to cover everybody, all of humanity. It is long enough to last for all eternity. It's high enough to take us all the way to heaven. And it is deep enough to reach every sinner and touch every need and sin or hurt. And Paul wants to make sure that they don't just believe that that is true. He wants them to lay hold of it. He wants them to apprehend it for themselves. But let me show you something interesting about this experiencing the breadth and the, the width and the height and the depth of Christ's love. And do you see it there? 
to truly understand it, to apprehend it, to grasp it, to lay hold of it, says that you may be strengthened to comprehend or apprehend with all the saints. That the only way to truly experience that is in community. That isn't something that you can experience all by yourself. So he prays for strength of this inner person. He prays for depth and love and that they would lay a hold and experience that. But there's one more thing he prays for. He prays for fullness. Because look at how that verse continues. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. He prays that for them, but we have to wonder, what is then the fullness of God? Well, it's all that God is, and it's all that he has for his children. And so that's why I begin by asking then, why do we often settle? We're about to see several students and children be baptized, and I've been thinking, would we want them to settle? That this is it, man, you've arrived Or do we want them to continue in this moving forward of spiritual growth and health? So Paul prays this for them. And I think oftentimes we settle even our spiritual lives for the same thing. It's self-pity, it's comfort, it's fear. But Paul prays that they would be filled with the fullness of God. But there is a major problem with that. There's a problem with us being filled with the fullness of God. I I think it's almost an impossible task. Because how can we be filled with the fullness of God? Just think about a few things about him. That here is God. He is holy. He is pure. He is love. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He's omniscient. He is infinite. Then how in the world can finite sinful beings stuck in these outer shells ever be filled with his fullness. There's no way that is possible that I could be filled with the fullness of God. But let me explain it this way. Imagine you're standing at, on the sand at the beginning of the ocean. But this ocean isn't like anything you have seen. You can stand on some shore and it's ocean as far as you see, but eventually it ends. But this ocean, it doesn't. It goes on and on and on for all eternity. And you walk up to that shore and you come up to that water and you you take a jar and you dip it into that ocean and you pull it up. And that jar is filled to the brim with the fullness of the ocean. All that jar has in it is ocean. Now, there's no way I could take all of the ocean and put it in here, but this jar is filled with the fullness of the ocean. And I think that's what Paul is trying to describe for us, that this fullness isn't that we could have all that God actually is, but we could actually be filled with the fullness of him. So why do we become comfortable? Why do we become stagnant? Why do we settle for less? And I think it's this. I think we would say, yes, I want all the fullness of God. 
but we're not quite ready to get to the place that we're willing to give him all that we are. In fact, my friend Ross Strader says it this way, you know, we, we like like a salt shaker. I like my life, I like to get comfortable, and I, I take my Jesus, and I just like to sprinkle it wherever I want it. But do we really want all that God has? And if we do, we have to be willing to give him all of us. And Paul doesn't pray that they'd be a quarter full. He doesn't pray that they'd be half full. He prays that they would be filled with the fullness of God. But then the question has to be, okay, I agree with that. Yes, I've settled. I've been too comfortable or I've been too fearful. I've been too partially filled and I really do. I, I want something greater. I don't think this is all God has for me. Then what do I do? Well, you go back to the beginning. But you have to be willing. You have to be able to open up yourself and give everything that you are. That nothing is off the table for God to feel. And you know what you do? You follow Paul's plan. You pray that your inner person would be spiritually strengthened. You ask God specifically for it. Not just for our physical needs, but we pray for a spiritual strength. And you know what happens? That leads to a deeper experience with Christ. Then that deeper experience leads to a greater confidence that Christ actually does love you, that he is in this for you. And then you find yourself that greater confidence of Christ's love. It actually helps you to apprehend or to lay hold of how much he actually does love you. That just like that ocean, there is no end. And when that happens, you will be filled more and more with the fullness of God. But I want you to know, you can't do this on your own. And I can't do this on my own. This can never happen outside of community and God's people and his church. That is where this happens. And when Paul thinks about his own life and, and what is ahead for him and the lives of those that he is writing to, he breaks out in praise because look at the last two verses. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than you ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And we have read those verses week after week, Sunday after Sunday for several years. But there's something that has shocked me this week about this verse. Because look at the very beginning what he says. That we're praying to this God of this infinite power and to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think that God's need or God's capacity to meet our needs is far greater than our capacity to even ask that he has more ability and power and capacity than we even have in asking Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. 
Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.